BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. And today's episode, I am talking with author Tembe Locke. This is the second part of this conversation. I hope you will find it as meaningful and helpful and inspiring as I did. I was so moved by her story. She experienced and then shared with the world the story of great love she met, fell in love with, and then cared for a man who ultimately died. And she was also raising her daughter with him during her caregiving of her partner and then caregiving in grief with her seven-year-old daughter. Not only did she share her story, but she also shared how those of us who are going to be on play dates or support people who have either lost or are currently in the process of going through both grief and caregiving at the same time, how we can best support them as friends, as co-parents, as partners, as teachers, as peers, as mothers in the community. And it was really nice to have access to find out the best way to be supportive of someone, to know what you can offer in terms of help and know what is not super helpful. If you enjoy this episode, please write a review. It's so helpful to get the word out. You can subscribe to my newsletter, drlisa.bulletin.com. Those first three years after he died, how did you care give and get care? I was at rock bottom. If I, so I came to being newly, you know, to being widowed and a sing, and a solo parent after 10 years of caregiving. So I came to grief and widowhood already exhausted. But the other thing that was the, that the caregiving taught me by that point was I knew I was like, I can, there's no way I can do this. Now I'm this is, I I can't do any of this by myself. And so I was more willing as a newly widowed person to receive and ask for help. One, because it became very hard for me to do basic things, especially in the first six, seven months. Driving a car sounds strange, but my, all of my, my sense of space and time was very disoriented, which is not an uncommon thing that can happen. And if you don't know this about newly grieving people, my processing systems were turned upside down. So, you know, just, and I write about this, just backing my car out of the driveway would take like 10 minutes because I would get overwhelmed. I couldn't, you know, everything was just sort of really turned inside out. So I kind of knew, okay, from that place, if physically it's hard for me to back a car out of a driveway, I can't be tasked with being the only adult in the house 
to care for a grieving child. And so I had the gift of having my stepmom moved in with us for the first three months. So I had, and then there was a little bit of a rotation of people who would come and help out, which was very valuable. I got a lot of therapy, lots and lots and lots of therapy. And I'd been in therapy all through caregiving, but then it was like a new stage. (laughs) It was a whole new stage because it was a whole new landscape. My daughter also play therapist for her so she could do because at seven, eight, how much she's not going to really there's no talk therapy. therapy. There's no talk therapy. She did sand tray play therapy. And then on top of that, we had group, you know, times when she and I would come together and we would talk. So there was a lot of intentionality around marshalling every resource I could think of to help us out because the world was cracked open. And whatever worked before didn't even matter because we were in a whole new landscape. And so I said, well, we've got to start over from scratch. We've got to build up what this family is going to look like, what resources we need, how we move through the world. I had a lot of friends who would step in to be available for the school things. Like I had a friend who would just go with me to every school event and hold my hand. Just so you had, so you didn't have to look at nobody. Exactly. Exactly. Because the school events, the worst, the worst, the absolute, I could, the school events were the hardest that I will tell you, I would go into like, my heart would start. I felt anxiety from the day before the event would happen because I knew two things were going to happen. One, it would be an inflection point for my daughter. Because being at that school play, dance, art show, whatever it was, without her father there was going to send her, bring up all kinds of things for her. So I I was also on high alert for those signals as a mom coming from my child and wanting to put a protective border around her, check in with her beforehand, check with her during, say, do you want to leave now? Do you want to stay a little bit longer? Okay. You do want to stay longer. And by the way, I was exhausted during all of this. So I needed someone to be like, okay, now I'm here for you. I'm going to hold your hand. You know what? We can drive her home. If you need to go home early, that's okay. So I had, please, please, please. If you are the friend of a newly widowed person who is a parent, be that person, be the handholder, be the person who is like, I'm packing your daughter's lunch today for school. Don't even think about it. I'm making my son's lunch today. Don't even think about trying to put lunch in. Take that off your plate. Lunch will be there when she gets there. You know, be that person. Take Take those tasks off. Help the solo parent feel as though they have a network of other adults out there looking out for the child for the kinds and qualities of care, but also the emotional care. Like, tell me if you see her a little withdrawn and off to the side on the playground, just tell, you know, not in a way that like scares me, <laughs> you know, right. just I don't handle, want to, but just, yeah. yeah, but it's like, oh, cause I kind of want to know that I want to, if, you know, and luckily we were in a school and that was very receptive to having lots of dialogue about grief and childhood grief. I was able to talk with her teachers very openly about it. I would send the first year, I would send an email at the end of the week. And I would say, just how was she doing this week? And her teacher was lovely in saying, I observed this. I observed that. I think she's doing okay. That gave me comfort because I didn't have eyes on for eight hours of the day. 
And I was like, what is she holding in? What is she not talking about? Is she scared? Is she? I didn't know, right? Having a teacher, having the sense that my teacher was in it with me, that she was going to be that emotional support and pillar for my child for the hours that she was away from me, allowed me during the day to go, oh, take a breath. Someone else is watching. Okay, there are other people in this with me. And I would nap. The first few months, I couldn't, first of all, my sleep was so turned upside down that when I would drop her off at school, I needed to sleep. And I, 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 I tell all, all new married people and parents, if you don't have life insurance, get it instantly, like today, <laughs> because God forbid something happen, you are going to want to rest and to have enough resources that if you can't go into the office for three or four months, that's okay. That your world's not going to fall apart. So you know, a lot of people, you know, that's my sort of like anecdotal, <laughs> have life insurance people, <laughs> please do. Right. The practical stuff that you just practical don't want. Stuff. The practical stuff. I mean, you know, yeah. When you're describing all of this, I'm hearing you grieving for the experience your child is having. Was there any way to understand your grief out of context or was it like, I'm so focused on how my daughter is doing that I'm not even thinking about how it feels for me outside of that? It, it was, yes, to, yes, it was both of those things. So there were times when I might be more cut off from my own grief in terms of in focusing on hers, her taking care of her on the hard days was, gave me a reason to get up and to do certain things, right? So in a way, there was it was a gift in being a parent because I had to look forward a little bit. I had to sort of plan something that might make her happy and then hope it would also make me happy, you know, along the way, you know? And I think as I learned, grief is a magnet for other griefs. And I, what I mean by that is the grief I was experiencing as a newly widowed person and caring for my daughter who was seven brought up my own grief of when my parents divorced when I was also seven. And so here I am watching her have her life disrupted and a father gone and, all, and it's bringing up all of that same stuff for me. And so I am hyper vigilant in terms of trying to care for her and the work I had to do and still do is to learn to also take care of me in the process, right? And that's a balance. The other thing that people don't often think about or know is that there were days when I might actually be having a pretty good day. Like I was like, okay, today feels like, oh, I can put one foot in front of the other. Okay. You know, I got that dinner plan. I had that email, that work thing went well. I'm actually feeling pretty okay today. And I go to pick up my kid from school and she's in a whole other space. So suddenly now she is saying, I miss daddy. Why did he die? Why did he leave me? You know, why didn't you do this? You know, there were all the things because she, you know, and I, I, I write about this. She, she, her seven-year-old self was very, the gift of that honesty was hard, but it was, it was a gift because one of the things she said is she said, you know, every, everyone is coming here to see you. 
because you lost your husband. But no one's here coming to see me. And she said, and I was like, well, I, 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 I see that. And she said, no, you don't know what that feels like. She said, you have your dad. He's in the other room. I don't have my dad. She was seven years old. And what she was telling me was, your grief ain't like mine. And I think it's very important for parents and family and friends to understand that in a household, they everyone may be grieving the same person, but they're grieving different relationships. I was grieving a lover, a life partner, a father, a best friend. She was grieving a father. I had no direct experience with the loss of a father. So I didn't know what that felt like. I could imagine. And I can't expect her at seven to understand what it's like to grieve a husband, you know? And so in that space, we could be on different pages. And the best thing we could do for each other and what I learned was to just come together and say, you want to talk about, we called him Babu because that's Italian for father. You want to talk about Babu? And she would say, no, but you can tell me a story about him. Right? And so being able to check in with her, having her be able to give her the grace and space to say what she needs to say to me, even though it's uncomfortable. And she said to me, I because her dad was an amazing chef and a great cook. And I am, was, you know, I'm good. I'm a home cook, but I'm not a chef. You're not a <laughs> chef. Not a chef. And we were eating out of the freezer for like a long time after he passed. And she looked up with to me, looked up at me one day and she said, you had 20 years with him and this is all you learned. <laughs> God. Children. Right? It was so good. It was so good. I I still love her for that comment to this day because one, I laughed my fuck. I mean, internally, I was both crying and I was laughing because I was like, "You're right." Like, what the? You know, this is this is it. This is what it means. It's like, okay. And I was like, "Well, I'm gonna work to get better. You're gonna learn some cooking along the way. We're gonna, you know, we." I guess what I'm saying is, there's creating this space for openness and for dialogue and for the discomfort. You're sitting in so much discomfort for so long. That's why you need a community. That's why you need therapists. That's why you need these things to lean into because it's you can't do it alone. You cannot. The cost of doing it alone is, is great. It's too great. It's too great for the child and it's too great for the, for the parent. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor. Once Upon a Farm is my favorite kids and snacks food brand. And Once Upon a Farm is the leading baby food and kids snacks brand offering organic cold pressed fruit and veggie pouches, dairy-free smoothies, overnight oats, plant-rich meals, and more. It's made with whole farm fresh ingredients and no added sugars, concentrates, or anything artificial. Their subscription offering is fully customizable, so you can pick and choose from their wide variety of blends or meals and switch it up before every delivery. My kids love the elderberry and dragon fruit. Can't explain it. Just try it and you'll see. You can even freeze them and make little frozen bites. I saw that on Jennifer Garner's Instagram and I did it. We all know that back to school hustle and bustle can be chaotic. Make your life easier and choose foods like Once Upon a Farm 
that can help with giving healthy on-the-go snacks to kids of all ages. If you have a baby or toddler in the house, consider their new offering of plant-rich meals to introduce new flavors and textures and help get exposed to lots of delicious nutrients right out of the gate. Find it at retailers nationwide and online. So get started today and enjoy an additional 35% off your first subscription to Once Upon a Farm. Use the code HUMANS at onceuponafarmorganics.com. That's onceuponafarmorganics.com. And now a word from Yipes Wipes. Yipes Wipes are, I just like the name, so I'm saying it funny, but Yipes Wipes are a kid's face and hand wipe that are designed to teach kids to develop independent, healthy habits. It was started by a mom who developed Yipes Wipes to embrace the messy side of growing up. Messes are a way to learn and grow and have fun. So you gotta have messes, but then you gotta have Yipes Wipes so that you can clean them off. Yipes Wipes are a face and hand wipe for kids when they're too old for baby wipes, but they're still making messes. And they're designed for kids. Yipes Wipes effectively remove all of the icky stuff that kids get into. And you can feel good about what Yipes Wipes because they're safe. They have no parabens, phthalates, or petroleum. They're 99% plant-derived, hypoallergenic, dermatologist-tested, 98% water. They are plastic-free wipes. I feel so good about supporting a brand with plastic-free wipes. So you can feel good about using them because they're compostable. They're 94% biodegradable. They're not tested on animals. They're perfect for on the go. They have individual sachets or a canister for at-home use. Go to yipes.com slash humans for 20% off. Once again, that's yipes.com slash humans, or just insert humans at checkout for 20% off at yipes.com. Growing up is messy. Yipes wipes to the rescue. I started writing this book in my mid forties. I'd never written a book before. And now I have adapted the book for series. Yeah. So I learned to be a screenwriter and a producer. And so I hope that what she's learning is that, you know, they talk about, and you, you talk about your profession talks about post-traumatic growth. <laughs> I think that's like a term people put around, you know, when you go through something difficult and there's this opportunity for growth, right? And it doesn't have to look like a book and a series and all that stuff, right? No, that's a lot of, uh, that That can be pressure that no. makes my <laughs> field really rude. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, I'm like, mm-mm. because when I wrote this, I was literally writing this book for me. And I thought if five people read it and get something out of it, great, because I have to write this book for me. And I knew I was writing a book for my daughter that would be a legacy of these first years, that first five years we spent together as two grieving hearts around the loss of her dad. And I wanted a record of that experience, right? That she would meet. She has not read the book yet, but she will. Or maybe she never will. And I told her, you don't ever have to read this book. Guess what? (laughs) You get to choose. (laughs) You don't mean like, yeah, no. And she might say hard pass. But later on in life, later, she might read it at 30 years old or she might read it when she's a new mom. I don't know. The point is that, you know, we are in this journey together and that I hope what she is seeing is that whatever life throws her way, if she leads with love, if she understands that there is a core resilience 
within her that you that she will develop her own relationship with. Like I'm learning, I'm I've developed. I didn't I didn't. I mean, some people talk about coming to the world like you're a resilient person, as if it's just like I don't know, like baked into your like DNA. Yeah. I can't stand that because I'm like, oh, what are y'all talking about? I don't know what is that all about. I mean, I know it's a cute Hollywood narrative. I get it. It's, it's a lot of pressure for pressure. a person to be a hero. No, yeah, With and no I'm like, outside support and just yeah, no, it makes yeah. no. It doesn't happen that way. It's unreal. It's that's crazy pants. So what I say is that I try to get curious about where I can be a little resilient today. Like, okay, yesterday looked like this. What could I do today that's just like maybe moves the needle a little bit more in the direction I want to go in? And it's a lot about curiosity first. And then I get curious about like, okay, well, that was a shit show. So what Mm -hmm. might look different, right? And then I creatively try to move in that direction. And over time, doing that, (laughs) you know, in fits and starts (laughs) with ups and downs, the net result is like, oh, in year five of being a widow, I can, I can look back and see I'm more resilient around X, Y, and Z than I was the first six months of being a widow. Right. But if somebody had come to me and talk about my resiliency at six months of being, I would have been like, I don't know what you're saying. What are you even talking about? It, it, stop. You know, like you didn't um, need to hear at six months. This is going to look like a beautiful story in a decade. Thanks, no. but no thanks. No. In fact, I resented it and I was angry about it. And we did not mm. talk about it. Different conversation is the anger that mm. comes with grief, the anger and anxiety. Those are the two A's that surprise you. Those, those two things caught me off guard. I think we're used to seeing grief. We've seen it depicted screen and we've read it as sadness and longing and, but we don't talk about the anxiety and we don't talk about the anger as much. And I feel like underneath a lot of anger is grief generally, (laughs) Um, but we lead with the anger first. And the anxiety is the kind of reorganizing around this new world that we're in and we don't have our sea legs yet. And it looks very anxious and there's lots of triggers that come along the way. So I don't know how I got on the, those two things, but that's, those are the other aspects of, of, of grief that if you, I had to own my anger, I had to own my anxiety before I could be resilient, before I could do things that helped me to be resilient. My grandmother... I remember when my grandfather died, my, one of my grandfathers is still here at 98, but my other grandfather died and I was, I think I had just finished college and I was sitting in the living room and I said something, and my grandmother was a very, in my view, positive person. I had never seen her snap or, I mean, she was my grandmother, not my mother. So she didn't have me as often to get as annoyed and do the things that mothers might do. Anyway, I said to her, you know, something along the lines of like, but think about all the wonderful years you had together. Like I did the thing that I would never do now, but obviously I was, I was young and Mm -hmm. informed. And she was, she looked at me and she said, can it marry sunshine? (laughs) And this like different voice than I had ever heard. And I was so horrified 
because she was totally right. I was like, I cannot handle how upset you are. I would like to have everybody just go back to the bright side. Oh, absolutely. And, and she just had no, no patience for it. God bless her. She was just like, I am not doing this even for my grandchild. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the thing we, you know, we, it, it, in another conversation we can talk about, but that's a lot of reason why the book takes place in Sicily, because what you talk about that, that generation of women, right? The older, the old world approach to grief is what I found when I went to Sicily and spent time with my mother-in-law in those first three summers after my husband passed. And they, there, I found people who were like, this is awful. Grief looks like this. It's sad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Like all the feelings were okay. That was a place in the world on the globe where I like put my suitcase down and suddenly everybody was in camp grief with me. <laughs> and like, I got that it. That is a place where they can handle those big feelings. Yeah, they can handle it. They can handle all of it. And I was like, oh, this is what America, if America is what unexpressed grief looks like, this is the place where grief is in overdrive. <laughs> but somehow, wow. I like that and I need that right now. And in the sanctity and safety of my mother-in-law's home and in her kitchen, one widow to another, my, you know, then 80-something-year-old Sicilian mother-in-law, we could just talk about what this experience felt like very openly. And I had more in common with her than I did with like my friends back in LA. And we didn't even speak the same language. I mean, we did, we shared Italian in, 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 you know, in common, but like, I don't speak fluent Sicilian and she certainly didn't speak English. And so we're just there. And that taught me a lot about making space for grief. Like, what does it look like when a whole culture makes space for grieving, makes space for rest? There was the siesta every day. And my mother-in-law was like, shut the lights out, close the curtains, <laughs> lie in bed and don't get out for two hours because you need it and your body needs it. And I was like, okay, I can get behind this. This is a system that works for me right now and where I am. Yeah. And my daughter and I would take to bed in the middle of the day and rest our bodies. And it is so up. not American. It is so <laughs> not American. It's true. That is fantastic. <laughs> but wow. I, so that, and she was very, like you shared the story about your grandmother, very frank about the spectrum of feelings that come up around, around you know, when you're grieving and I didn't have to be eternally full of sunshine when I was around her. And that was, for, that was refreshing. I didn't have to make her feel better. Yes. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor. Parallel is the first and only OBGYN founded prenatal vitamin offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of motherhood. They have vitamin packs for anyone trying to conceive, for anyone in each individual trimester because the needs of baby and mom at that time were just different at each stage. And they have products for postpartum and early motherhood. And each product is meticulously formulated by their founding team of world-class doctors they also have this really awesome mom multi-support pack, which I just think is an incredible product that I wish I had had during postpartum and those early days of motherhood. Parallels mom multi-bundles together two prenatal vitamin offering, full spectrum nutrition and immunity support, a high quality omega with DHA and EPA, along with a stress support blend because come on, you need it. 
and a beauty blend to support your hair, skin, and nails. We all love that. It can be taken through the postpartum phase. It's safe for breastfeeding and up to five years after birth, offering moms the extra nutritional support they need to rebuild their nutrient stores and support them in the stress and beauty departments which is just important during such a physically demanding stage of life. Each parallel pack comes with a 30-day supply of vitamins, all conveniently bundled together into recyclable daily packets. You can just take on the go anywhere, anytime. And with Parallel, you get everything you need for under $48 a month. Exclusively for Raising Good Humans listeners, Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months of Parallel with the code HUMANS15. Head to P-E-R-E-L-E-L. Co. You can cancel anytime with a 30-day money-back guarantee if you don't love it or get it for a friend who is newly pregnant. And now a fun sponsor because this is just you getting some great clothes for yourself, for your partner, for your kids. Whether you're spending long sunny days by the pool or exploring new places on vacation, there's just a really universal urge to make the most out of summer. And the Fairty family lives for this time of year and their brand captures that feeling of summer and adventure in their collection of high quality clothing. It's incredibly soft and comfortable, always sustainably minded and meant to be worn from surf to city. Faherty is a family run brand making high quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. They really have mastered the art of the effortless boho throw on dress for the beach or those white gauzy shirts when you're just broiled outside, but you want to cover yourself. They're so committed to sustainability. They even have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. So your clothes can last as long as your favorite summertime memories. And right now, Faye Herty is giving all Raising Good Humans listeners 20% off. Let me say that again, 20% off. Head to F. A-H-E R-T-Y brand.com slash humans20 and use the code humans20 at checkout to get this deal. That's code humans20 at F-A-H-E-R-T-Y brand.com slash humans20 for 20% off. Fahertybrand.com slash humans20. I don't know why I, that sentence is so valuable for all of us to hear, but it is the onus sometimes can be on the griever and the caregiver to make everybody else feel okay, which is like not how it should. That's the wrong. I remember feeling like I have to soft pedal describing Sado's current treatment or what's going on in his body to my friends, it'll be too much for them, you know? Or let me not quite tell really the full spectrum of what this feels like. Like, who can I talk to about the fact that, you know, I miss the smell of his body, right? I miss, I miss like, you know, you know, his touch. I even miss, like sometimes I would go in, he left all these, you know, when he passed away, not that he left, but what was left behind was like all of this medicine, right? And I would just go look at the medicine. And I didn't want to throw it out. It had just not going to be any use for it, but letting it go. And I had such, I, I didn't understand why I was doing it. And I knew I couldn't explain it to anybody. And I thought it would then, for me to share that with them would make them feel sad for me. So I'm just not going to, it was like this complicated circle. And so be the person 
that can hear all the crazy stories <laughs> that are going to come up in grief because grief is not logical. It is not linear. It is messy. It's a thorny, rough patch of earth. <laughs> and yet we're all going to go through it. And if you can sit and hear my story down the line, I can sit and hear your story. And so at some point, we're all going to have the story of the thing. And I you know, do enough advocacy work and have talked to many widowed people. I have heard all kinds of versions of the human experience <laughs> around the odd things that happen after someone has passed and what your grief looks like and the things you hold on to, the things you don't want to hold on to, the sort of, you know, yay. But we can tell each other these stories. They don't make us less human. They just make us more human. And they actually give us an opportunity to be more connected. That's that's what that's the story I'm here to tell. And I think that's a part of why I wrote the book, because I kept reading. I was so hungry for grief stories when I was newly widowed. Suddenly I was like, no one ever talked about this experience. I lost a grandparents before, but I this is this is not like what that was. So we're like the natural course. Yeah. I was like, what is this experience? Who has written? What is all this? And I was just hungry, hungry, hungry for any, I, I remember sitting and I would just want to watch sad movies. I mean, give me grief movies. I need grief. I needed to see it expressed in the world. How had other humans handled this? And so a part of writing the book, and I found some books that I really loved that I thought it was dealt really honestly. And I thought, wow, if I ever write something, I hope I could write it as honestly and openly as that. As your daughter moved through her experience of losing her father, what could parents of her peers mm. have done, could do to be supportive? Because I imagine there's a need to be supportive and tremendous community, but also everybody's like, oh, I don't want my kid to be like, say the wrong thing or be upset or make your daughter upset or any any thoughts there? Yes. One thing I would say is I would, especially early on, I kept group, I sought to have smaller group settings, right? So that, that way, if you're inviting my daughter over and knowing that any, if you guys are going to watch a movie, you might watch Finding Nemo and that triggers something for her and she's crying. You don't want to have 15 other kids there. <laughs> like that's not going right. to be a good setup for me to feel like, oh, my daughter's at your house and you can give the needed attention to her because you've got, so we tried to keep them to scale, like to uh -huh. emotional scale, <laughs> like keep the play date small. I would send a text ahead of time or a drop off and I'd say, Hey, this is kind of what's going on today. If, you know, you know, be, be willing to be a little bit in communication with me about like a check-in about how she's doing. And then please give me the courtesy of if something is said like, Oh, we were watching this and this came up. I think you should know this because it might come up next week or when she gets home. That was like, I need that intel. Like if my child has been away for four hours and you guys went to see a movie and a lot of times it was movies, <laughs> like, and it has this always about that, right? Yeah. And there yeah. was this sub theme in the movie. Don't, please don't not tell me that. Tell me that information so that I can at bedtime say, hey, tell me about that movie. 
Like, so then I can kind of get in front of it so that I'm not that, that I would say, so that kind of communication. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a little bit extra work and I know we're all moving so fast, but if you're seeking to be in the life of a family who is grieving, then you're signing up for that. 